trying to take a mental snapshot of you all. <coughs> I'm going to miss this place. Life is not like a movie. Three and a half years ago, I, I came here uh, because I have a deep respect for Pastor Jeremy Deck. I said, I want to learn from you. And uh, there's a lot of people in the world who are smarter than me, but um, he's one of the few people, I'll admit, that are smarter than me. Every, every debate we have, somehow he ends up winning, even when I'm right. I just can't prove it. But um, one of the difference, differences between me and Jeremy is um, he watches films, and I watch movies. I don't know the difference, but he's always talking about the films he's watching. What I like about movies, especially Christian movies, they're very cheesy, but I really like them. Well, I don't really like them, actually, but a little bit I like them. Because they wrap everything up really, really nicely. 90 minutes. And I think, man, I wish ministry were like that. I, I wish life we're like that, but it isn't. Before coming to Gospel Life, I, I pastored an English-speaking church within a Russian-speaking church. And it's a long story. Maybe I've told you about it before, but I, I, I won't explain it. But I, I took that role as a 21-year-old. And uh, I had wanted to be a, a pastor since I was a little kid. And as a 21-year-old, I took the very first offer that came to me because I was so excited to be a pastor. And I told them, my calling is to plant a church in North Minneapolis, but I can stay here uh, for two years. And the time at the Russian church was key to my development as, as a person and as a pastor. You know, and I, I made friends there, like I've made friends here. I made friends there who continue to have my back to this day, four years later. But I left there hurting. And I left there tired, unsure if God could work through me. Because in two years there, I didn't see much fruit. I wondered, does starting new churches make any difference? Do people actually still come to know Christ? Or is it just kids who grew up in the church and then even many of them, it seems, fall away? Is there still power in this? And late... February of 2017, I know that because this week I, I don't delete emails. I typed it in and, and I read it. 
an email I sent to three friends late in my time at the Russian church. I titled the email, Discouraged Pastor. And I asked a rhetorical question, am I wasting my time? After my time at the Russian church, I knew that before we started a new church in North Minneapolis, I had a lot of growing to do. I had a lot of learning to do. And so I came to Jeremy and I said, I, I want to be your apprentice. He says, okay, what does that mean? So I, I made up a job description. I came to Jeremy because I trust Jeremy more than just about any man in the world. And I also know his strengths and I know what he stands for and I stand for the same things. But I also know his weaknesses. They're a lot like mine. Involve losing car keys and when they're in your pocket. And I thought, if God can work, and I meant this seriously, if God can work through him, God can work through me. I think why today is so emotional for me, having this view, seeing you, is uh, the last three years have been some of the most healing years of my life. My mind is healthier than it was three and a half years ago. My marriage is healthier than it was three and a half years ago. And this morning I stand before you confident that Jesus is still working. Confident that there is still power in the gospel. Confident that starting new churches really does make a difference. In the last three and a half years, I've seen God open the eyes of the spiritually blind. I, I told Andrew this morning I was going to talk about him, and I said, how do you pronounce your last name? And he said, Maher, I think. I've known him for three and a half years. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but three and a half years ago, I met him at Bauhaus Brewery, and he was very skeptical about the church. He was very skeptical about uh, uh, truth claims and, and, and religion. And now I, I... Now he loves the Lord. I met Emma, who I don't know if, if she's here today. And she, and she said that she doesn't know when she officially became a Christian... But it was sometime in the last few years, and just a few weeks ago, I got to see her be baptized. Last week, Ryan Paris did the call to worship. I thought, this guy, a couple years ago, he, I don't think he was a Christian. Something happened. And now he's, he's calling us our congregation, he's calling Gospel Life Church to worship the Lord. There's power in the gospel. And, and these stories are just gospel life. They don't include things we've seen happen in North Minneapolis. They don't include the Lord saving Jameer. They don't include the Lord saving Laura. The Lord isn't done working. We're believing that he's got great work to do in North Minneapolis. And I'm believing today 
that he's got great work to continue to do through Gospel Life Church. Coronavirus has totally changed things. We were in a building last year, another building. Then we were in a backyard. And now we're here. And it's a strange time to be planting a new church out of Gospel Life because it's almost like Gospel Life is restarting, replanting. That's an amazing opportunity. But ministry is messy because life is messy. So maybe you're wondering this morning if there's grace for you. Maybe you're wondering this morning if there's grace for your, your neighbor. Maybe you're wondering if, if Jesus is worth giving up your life for giving up the things you love for. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you're wondering if you're wasting time in the local church. You're wondering if gathering with people on Sunday, if, if attaching yourself to a ex dysfunctional extended family like this makes any difference. Maybe you're wondering if God can actually use you to help others see that Jesus is worth living for. Maybe you've got people in your life you think they're too complicated to talk to. They're so opposed to Christianity. They never give up the things they, they love. They, they never change their life because their life is so at odds with the gospel. They never want to turn from those things to Jesus. So I'm just not going to talk with them. Well, today in Genesis chapter 35, we see that God is powerful and God does work through us. And so go to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 35 is the big number 35 and we'll start right at the beginning of this. This morning, let's see how the Lord spoke into the life of a sinner named Jacob and how the Lord used Jacob to bring his entire family to the Lord. But before we look at Genesis 35, uh, some of you here haven't been in our uh, series on Genesis. Maybe you're, you're, you're coming in for the first time uh, this morning. So let me just catch you up in about two minutes of chapters 1 through 34. In the beginning, God created the world. He created human beings and everything was good. He created human beings to know him and to love him and to know one another and to love one another. But then people turned away from God. They, they decided to do things their own way. They rejected his authority and so sin came into the world. Death came into the world. Everything was ruined. And chapters 4 through 11 show the consequences of sin and how the world has changed from its intended perfect design to where it is now. Brother is killing a brother. People are, are men are uh, sexually abusing women. People are thinking about how they can hurt one another all the time. Then, then in chapter 11, we see people come together in unity, but it's unity to disobey God. 
but God isn't done with the world. And he has a plan to bless the entire world through one couple named Abraham and Sarah. He goes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. That through this line, through this family line of Abraham and Sarah, is going to come the one who will fix the world, who will right the wrongs. And then we see God work with Abraham's son Isaac. And now we're seeing God work with Abraham's frustrating grandson named Jacob. In chapter 28, the Lord comes to Jacob, whose name means deceiver. It's kind of awkward preaching about Jacob because I had to, at the start of the week, I said, I don't like Jacob. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, I'm supposed to preach about Jacob, so I have, I, I have to work on that. But Jacob is, is frustrating because even when God comes to him and, and, and says, I'm going to bless you. I bless Abraham. I bless your father Isaac. I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham's response in, in chapter 28 is, okay, if you bring me back to this place, Bethel, if you bring me back to this place, you'll be my God. What, the, there's some debate on exactly, is, is Jacob actually a believer up to this point in Genesis? We, we see his life and I don't know. At the very least, it's messy. Jacob is a liar. He lies to his father. He deceives his brother. He, he's, he's got multiple wives. He has this back and forth conflict with his father-in-law where they're both trying to rip each other off. And last week in Genesis chapter 34, we saw his daughter be raped and he was passive. And it's not just Jacob who's dysfunctional, his family's dysfunctional. I instead of having eye for eye justice that's, that's even, right? They, they went eye for head. You did this to our sister. We're going to wipe out your entire village. This is a dysfunctional family led by a dysfunctional man. But still, look at what God says. Verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there. Look at Jacob's life. I, I almost read about him and I, I, I almost hate him. I wouldn't want to be friends with Jacob. But still God says, arise. For those who, who see the Bible as some sort of clean cut fairy tale, it's just not true. What book shows its protagonist like this? 
Amen. Genesis tells stories that are more real than cheesy movies. Genesis refuses to give us a story that's tied up real nicely in a bow at the end of 50 chapters. God looks at this man named Jacob. He looks at this man who's made a mess of his life, and he says, arise. Keep reading in Genesis, and you'll see that Jacob's family life continues to be dysfunctional. The effects of Jacob's previous sins continue to negatively influence his life. But from 35 on, you'll notice a very real difference in Jacob after this encounter with the Lord. All because the Lord in his grace said, rise. Why does God say, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there? Why does God say, make an altar? How does the Lord introduce himself? Who is this God? The Lord says, make an altar there to who? To the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. The Lord introduces himself by reminding Jacob that he is the God of Jacob's salvation. When Jacob feared his encounter with his brother Esau, the Lord showed up and promised to bless Jacob. The Lord showed up and he promised to keep Jacob. He he promised to protect Jacob. He promised to never leave Jacob. Who is this God? He's the God of Jacob's salvation. How does Jacob respond to the Lord's call? Look at verse 2, little number 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Jacob listens. Jacob hears the call of God. And he goes and tells his family, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves. Jacob knows that it's no casual thing to call to follow the Lord of his salvation. Up to this point, Jacob's been cheating people. He's been deceiving people. He's been a manipulator. He's been a terrible father. He's been living like this with the false gods in his house. I wonder, as I, as I read Genesis, I, I, I wonder, did it take Jacob so long to arise, so long to go back to Bethel. So long to fully commit himself to the Lord. Did, did it take him so long to give his full allegiance to God because he didn't want to give up his sin? The false gods, they allowed Jacob to be a manipulative son. They allowed him to lie to his brother. They allowed him to be a sexually immoral husband. 
The false gods allowed him to be an emotionally passive father. He was the head of his household. He didn't have to listen to nobody. He got to call the shots. That's how Jacob lived with the false gods in his pockets. But the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God who is holy, the, gods who, 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 the God who is not a manipulator, the God who is not passive, the God who is not a liar, this good God did not count Jacob as a lost cause. The Lord was not passive. The Lord did not shake his head. The Lord did not throw up his hands and say, enough with this guy. No, God called this sinner named Jacob. Come to me so that I can bless you. The Lord called Jacob so that Jacob could be blessed in the love of God. And Jacob responded to this call of blessing. Jacob heard the call of God and obeyed. Jacob immediately knew things needed to change in his life. And he buried his false gods. And he didn't lack a thing. Because they brought nothing worth keeping. Jacob missed out on nothing when he turned from his sin. This is who God is. God is the God who calls sinners like Jacob to himself. This is what our God is like. And when Jesus came, the, the, the very Son of God, when Jesus came, he said that he came doing the work of his Father. And like the Heavenly Father, Jesus called sinful people to arise and follow him. Cheats, like Matthew. Immoral people, like, well, everybody. He said, follow me. And he died on the cross for the sins of of cheats and manipulators and the sexually immoral like Jacob and like me. And he, he, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, he said to his disciples, to his church, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the, the Father calls sinners to himself. The Son dwells among us and does the same. And now the church, that's the people of God, not the 501c3, but the people, the church is now the inheritor of that calling. The role of the church is to do the work of the Son who came and did the work of the Father. And what does that work? To call sinners to arise and to follow God. Too often we, 
we, we, we sanitize people like Jacob. I, I feel a little bad because it wasn't my notes. I feel a little bad saying I kind of hate Jacob. I maybe shouldn't have said that. I don't know. But I, you grow up with this little kid's Bible, and, 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 and they, I'm, I'm a parent. I'm not actually too mad about this, that they sanitize Jacob's life a little bit. I don't, I'll explain. Well, never mind. I'll explain some of these stories when my daughter gets a little older. Some of them maybe aren't age appropriate. But <laughs> but you grow up and you think Jacob's the hero, right? And Jacob has been sanitized. We've cleaned up Jacob. We've cleaned up the people in the Bible. We've put him in this category that separates him from real people. We even call them Bible characters. They're not Bible characters, they're people. They're people like you. They're people like your neighbors. We lose sight that Jacob was a real sinner with real sins. We lose sight that he was the real sinful son of sinful parents. And that he had sinful children. He really lied to his brother and took the inheritance. He really threw up his hands and said to his daughter's rapist, yes, Marry her. Just, just, don't, just don't hurt me. He was a real man with real sin. But God really said, arise. And today, God is calling you. He's calling you to arise. Get up. Follow him. Bury your false gods. Purify yourself because whatever God is asking you to give up is worth giving up. You won't miss out on anything. And today, Jesus is really sending you. God is really calling you to do his work. And what is that work? It's to be an ambassador of reconciliation. It's, it's to be a person who speaks the words of the gospel. That Christ died, that Christ rose, and that people, that you, that your neighbor can be forgiven. Are you conscious of that calling? Are you aware that you're actually called to do that? Because whether or not you're aware, it's still your calling. I guess I'm the type of person that if the God of the universe wants me to do something, I want to know about so I can do it. This is the work of the Father. To love him 
to love your neighbor and to open up your mouth and share the words of eternal life. But we doubt. We doubt that our words can make any difference because we know we're weak. What I'm saying today is that words that come from your mouth when believed will save a person from hell. That words that come from your weak tongue when embraced will give a person new life that lasts forever. If you're humble, you should be asking, well, what power do I have in me? Who am I? Do I really think my, what? That's crazy. I can't even get likes on Twitter. What difference do my words make? Your words make a difference because God has made it so that people would come to know him by hearing and embracing the announcement of his gospel, of his good news. What is that? That's that God himself, the son of God, Jesus, came and he lived perfectly that that he died sacrificially that he took my sins onto him that he was buried and that he actually physically rose from the grave and that he is king Jesus, the one who rose from the grave, is king. And how do you come into his kingdom? You hear the words of the gospel, which is the power of God to save. You believe. And you turn to him.